Hello and welcome to the Friday, May 28th, 2021 Memorial Day edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, wait until next year and a contender. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, wait until next year. Not that anyone would guess from her increasingly frequent appearances on Fox News, but Governor Kim Reynolds is rumored to be planning to run for re-election. In fact, she was endorsed this week by Nikki Haley's Stand for America PAC. What does Nikki know that we don't? I bring this up because in the end of, at the end of the legislative session, leaders what seemed to go out of their way to compliment the governor on her leadership. According to them, she forged the compromise that became the pathway to adjournment, tax cuts for everyone, the state takeover, mental health funding, and much, much more. But beyond that, what did the governor's leadership get her? Lawmakers never seriously considered her invest in Iowa plan to fund the outdoor recreation fund and other priorities rather than fund her $450 million request for three years of funding to build out broadband, they approved just $100 million. Her renewable fuels plan stalled when support from commodity groups and opposition from convenience stores left lawmakers with no safe options. Still, no children's mental health funding, no racial profiling bill, no progress on felon voting. Did I miss anything, Aaron? (laughs) No. Uh, that you pretty well covered it, and that's uh, you know it, it kind of illustrates the point that yeah the Republicans got a lot done, and, and maybe Reynolds helped you know overcome whatever disagreements there were in a few spots to to get to the final passage and get to the end of the session. But at the end of the day, lawmakers didn't pass anything that the Senate or the House didn't already want. Um, as your list there showed, anything that the governor went out on her own on did not happen. That did not get done. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, technically there were legislative successes uh, for Republicans and uh, to whatever degree Governor Reynolds had a hand in orchestrating that, but, but it wasn't necessarily her agenda. It was, it was broader. Like it was either Senate Republicans wanted this as well, or House Republicans wanted that as well. Um, and anything that the governor had tried to um, introduce, uh, she was not able to get legislators to come along with. So, Todd, um, while, you know, tax relief for property taxpayers and income taxpayers and I guess any taxpayer is usually considered a good political move. It's what voters would expect from a Republican governor and a Republican legislature. Can the governor um, sort of rein in legislators in in 2022 and say, "Okay, now it's my turn. It's my agenda this year and get those things approved? Well, you know, I think I think she can. I mean, she's going to be up for reelection. And uh, although, I mean, this year the, the legislature sort of reined her in. She went on Fox and wanted to do the ban on transgender sports, and the legislature decided not to do that. Uh, so, 
I think I think we see every sign that she's going to run for re-election, uh, pushing a fairly hard right agenda that is being you know accepted in other red states. I mean, there's sort of this uh, rat pack of red state governors who are all following the same playbook, and I would expect uh, her to do the same. She'll, I mean, I expect her to to, to nationalize the governor, gubernatorial election as you know, all politics right now seems to be nationalized. And I, I think the legislature will, will find the votes to help her do that and, and, you know, draw some sharp contrasts on some, on some issues that they feel like will motivate their, their base and Republican leading independents. So yeah, I, I think with her on the ballot next year and legislators fortunes also tied up on tied in with her coattails, I think they'll probably allow her to, to lead the charge. Is this an example of the difficulty of one party control where everybody's on the same team, but everybody wants to carry the ball uh, and uh, they, they haven't learned to take turns? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the, the, the fights internally within a party majority are more intense than the than the fights, you know, between parties. And I think we saw this year with the tax legislation that uh, there was some, there was some sort of bad blood there for a while. And, uh, but luckily, as, as you said earlier, the governor came in to, to, uh, well, basically she decided to side with the Senate and that left the house kind of out to dry. And eventually they had to, eventually they had to sort of cave in and, and go with the, go with the, uh, Senate and governor. Use, use that awful C word compromise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think there wasn't a lot of compromise. I think the, the house got a few things, but I think generally they, mm-hmm. they gave the Senate their way. One of the un- items of unfinished business when the 2021 session adjourned was uh, the ban on transgender students competing in girls sports Amy, you talked with Representative Sandy Salmon, who offered what she called the Save Women's Sports legislation. Um, does she see this coming up when legislators meet this summer or, or fall to approve redistricting, or will Salmon and others have to wait until next year? Well, she's she's waiting till next year. Um, she really gave no indication that she'd try to bring it up during redistricting, although I'm sure if the opportunity arose, she would. She does. I did talk with her this week. She does want to bring it up next year. Um, she put it forth and then withdrew it right away um, at the request of Republican leadership just because um, it seemed like they wanted to wait and see what other states were doing. Now, um, bills like this have passed in several states, well, at least gone through the legislature in several states. One of the bills passed in Idaho. I think they're probably going to wait to see if, um, not only if there's legislation or there's lawsuits, but if really the NCAA um, backs off and, and allows them to happen. Um, I know that the the Iowa High School Association, um, the athletic associations, aren't in favor of these. Um, basically, the the bill would mandate that you be the biological sex as as required by a doctor. So that would require a very invasive procedure um, for people. And and really, it's just if it's controversial. So if you're thought to not be the right gender you have to go get this test. So that's what a lot of people, if you look at the public comments to this bill, were against um, just the invasiveness. And then also on the other side, um, you're basically telling um, you know, transgender youth, we don't believe you. 
you know, we're, we're not believing what you're doing. We're going to say you need to be on your own on the other side. Republican, uh, Republicans are saying this is a fairness issue. This is, um, girls can't compete with boys. So that's why we have to have girls, you know, to have separate sports, because if they're competing against, you know, biological boys, there's an unfair advantage. And the science is really split on that. I think if you uh, take a look at these Connecticut cases they're talking about, um, these two sprinters in Connecticut who were, you know, winning a couple championships, I think up to 15 between the two of them. Um, but they're not immune to being beat. They were beat by women, by girls in high school. So it's really, I think, a mixed bag. I think um, it will be brought up again if it seems like these things lasted a year and and made it out unscathed. I think then you'll really see um, Representative Sam bring it up again. One of the things that probably will part, be part of this debate uh, when it comes up is just like, is this a problem? How big a problem is it? I was seeing something yesterday that so far there's been like nine cases documented where like the Connecticut cases uh, that you referred to that so far they've been able to identify like nine instances where this happened. So it's not exactly like, um, you know, this is happening at every track meet, at every split meet, at, at every soccer match sort of thing that it, you know. No, no. And, and, and if you talk to them, it, it's like other bills where they'll say, we're trying to get ahead of it. Right. But even um, Sandy Salmon was saying, you know, there are cases that we've seen in Southwest Iowa and I hadn't heard of these. So I've, I asked her to um, let me know about those and I haven't heard back yet, but we just talked a few days ago. So it's possible that she could sure. find these cases, but I haven't heard of anything um, in Iowa that, that people were concerned about. Yeah. And, and... I'm sure we'll hear more about it and whether it comes up to, in the special session this summer or next next year. I'm sure Sandy will be back um, with her legislation. Moving along, a Western Iowa farmer and cattleman Dave Mulbauer is the first person to enter the race for the Iowa Democratic Party nomination for the U.S. Senate in 2022. In his announcement, Mulbauer said he's running because people are fed up. Wages don't buy what they used to as the cost of living skyrockets. Big corporations continue to stack the deck against us with policy manipulation and lobbying, and CEOs are earning thousands of times more than workers. He described himself as an old-school farming labor Democrat, uh, which to me sounds like a Minnesota Democrat. Um, you know, good old Democratic Farmer and Labor Party, that coalition. Uh, Amy, it sounds like pretty standard fare for a Democrat. Uh, will it be enough to attract both the woke and unwoke Democrats? Maybe the unwoke. I, th <laughs> I think Mulbar is, seems to be trending towards um, more centrist um, Democrat. Um, he's, you know, he's a Western Iowa former county supervisor um, and a Democrat. You know, his father was a state representative as a Democrat. His grandfather was a state representative of a Democrat. Um, so he's he's really not only. Um, does he have the political party in his blood, but he's got that old school um, side of the political party. I don't know if you guys remember when Iowa used to be a purple state and we got along with each other, but this was a thing. And he is sort of of that cloth and, and wants to bring that back. And I asked him, honestly, does that party still exist? And he said, yeah, I think that party still exists. He said, people call me a conservative sometimes. They think, you know, this is the way that I am. And, and that's more conservative than Democrat because they see Democrats as a different thing. And so he's really sort of on a mission to to bring back that rural Democrat. One of the things that struck me in talking to him is that there was no mention of things like systemic racism 
uh, you know, talking about uh, policing, talking about some so many of these issues that we've been hearing about from Democrats for the past year. Um, and obviously, I mean, he's just getting started. He's just introducing himself. So, yeah, and he's very, very big on agriculture issues. You know, water quality, soil quality, um, breaking up sort of the um, meatpacking industries. He talked about how you know four big uh, companies control eighty-five percent of the beef uh, market. So, stuff like that, I think, um, actually probably will resonate with with a pretty broad cross section of Iowans. Tom, uh, other than face, likely facing an incumbent who has been reelected six times with more than 60% of the vote, what's Mulbauer up against in 2022? Uh, potentially a primary against uh, better known, better funded, and uh, better connected Democrats, uh, such as uh, former state lawmaker and former U.S. Representative uh, Abby Finkenauer who uh, lost her re-election bid for a second term representing Northeast Iowa's first district to, uh, to Ashley Henson in the, the 2020 election. Uh, so Finkenauer, according to multiple reports, is preparing to run for the Iowa U.S. Senate seat. Uh, the Cedar Rapids Democrat and Dubuque native, though, has not publicly commented on the rumors that uh, she's laying the groundwork for a Senate run. Uh, other Democrats said to be considering Senate bids include uh, Iowa U.S. Representative um, Cindy Axney, who represents Central Iowa's third uh, congressional district, and J.D. Shulton, who came close to defeating Republican former Iowa U.S. Representative uh, Steve King, uh, retired Admiral Mike Franken, who sought the Democratic nomination last year to challenge uh, uh, Iowa U.S. Senator Joni Ernst for her seat, uh, has also not ruled out a bid. You know, all three of those are uh, individuals are familiar to voters, the party establishment, party donors, and activists. And, um, you know, established their uh, democratic uh, bona fides. And, you know, as, as Amy said, um, Mulbauer, you know, kind of has a uphill climb to um, get his name out there, you know, make himself familiar to uh, Iowans in, you know, large sections of the state outside of his area that, you know, probably have no clue, you know, who he is um, or his background. And so that's, you know, that's going to present a challenge to him, especially if these other Democrats throw their hats in the ring because, you know, they've already really kind of established themselves with uh, with voters, with the party and, and donors. And, you know, they know their backgrounds and they know the issues and where they stand and, you know, have been able to, for the most part, you know, win over Democratic and, and um, independent voters. And of course, Governor Gr or Governor <laughs> Senator Grassley hasn't said whether he's running. Um and I think that's sort of frozen the field uh, to some degree. Um, when he makes his decision, what should we expect? If he announces he's running and, or if he announces he's not running, how is this going to affect the race? Yeah, his 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 excuse me decision uh, in this race will affect it considerably. Uh, while the most recent polling suggests a majority of Iowans hope he decides not to seek another term uh, in 2022, Grassley is still popular with Iowa voters. Uh, he held public office since 1959 and served in the Senate since 1981. He's the octogenarian everyone is waiting on. Um, <laughs> if, if, if Grassley does seek re-election, uh, Republicans and many Democrats concede the seat is essentially safe. If he doesn't, the GOP's road to the majority in the Senate gets that much harder after five GOP retirements this cycle. So there's been a lot of pressure put on Grassley to 
run for re-election, and he's um, given nods and winks and signals that um, that's probably likely, um, but is delaying a decision until the fall um, to, I mean, you know, as you said, pretty much freeze the field um, and kind of limit the um, the, the time and the window and, you know, the opportunity um, for the rest of the field maybe to materialize and, you know, for Democrats to, um, you know, get, get coordinated and, and kind of, you know, plan their, um, their, their, um, their strategy for, for potentially trying to oust them. Um, and he's a conservative who can work with Democrats on a handful of issues like criminal justice reform, drug prices, um, you know, while still using partisan power plays to fill the federal bench with, with conservative judges. Um, and he's a political pro. You know, he, he kind of toes the line between the establishment Republicans and the Trump era hardliners. Um, but age will be an issue should he run for an eighth term. Grassley's 87 years old. He would be 95 at the end of an eighth term, um, but says that, uh, you know, he's still up for the job. He still gets up at 4 a.m. every day and often goes for a two mile run. Um, and challenges people, you know, to push up competitions and often embarrasses them. He's not going anywhere. Huh? <laughs> uh, he, no, no, not anytime soon. Aaron, uh, no one, including Dave Mulbauer, thought that he would have the field to himself. Uh, and as uh, uh, Tom just mentioned uh, yesterday, the Politico had a story that Abby Finkenauer is uh, going to get into this race. Um Interestingly, a few hours after that Finkenauer story broke, um, we had a phone call from, uh, I guess, a not disinterested party. Um, what can you tell us? Yeah, so it, it, it was interesting. Uh, Teresa Greenfield, the Democratic candidate in Iowa's 2020 U.S. Senate race, uh, was defeated by Joni Ernst. Um, Apparently, he's making the rounds, talking to reporters, um, expressing some conditional, I guess you would say, it support uh, for Abby Finkenauer um, uh, because Abby's not obviously in the race yet. Um, so there's no one to endorse. Uh, Teresa Greenfield's just basically saying she thinks a lot of Abby. Um, and if she does get in the race, um, uh, she would support her, um, but uh, since she's not, you know, Greenfield, um, I guess, uh, told told you, James, that she isn't necessarily ruling out her own run if if, if that's the case. So so it's so it's um, it's kind of you know, hey, Abby's great, and, and if she runs, um, uh, I think she'll be a great candidate. But but if she doesn't, um, um, all things are still possible. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, one of those calls that you kind of go like, hmm, "Okay, what? Why are you calling me?" Uh, but uh, <laughs> especially since I, you didn't answer those calls a year ago. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, she talked highly, spoke highly uh, of Abby Finkenauer, um, and, and I guess you know, I asked her if she was endorsing, and she said, "Well, no, that would be premature since Abby hasn't gotten into the race yet." But yeah, I, I think the the message she seemed to be sending is that uh, you know I'm I'm still here. If Abby gets into the race, I'm not getting into the race. But uh, um, uh, which 
I, I guess, Todd, uh, you know, if we look at recent election cycles, we've seen the National Party get involved in picking the Democratic nominees. Bruce Braley back in 2014, Patty Judge in 2016 against Chuck Grassley and Greenfield against Ernst last year um, without success. Uh, have, have Chuck Schumer and the Democratic National Committee learned from those experiences and uh, let uh, Iowa Democrats pick their nominee? Oh, probably not. Uh, they, <laughs> You're such an you optimist. Know, well, I, you know, I think part of it depends on what Grassley does. I think if Grassley chooses to run again, then I think the National Democrats may, you know, look elsewhere to spend resources and and time, you know, boosting boosting a Senate candidate. Uh, I think if you know it, it's possible that they might back Abby Finkenauer with with Greenfield calling around and, uh, you know, Abby's background is, you know, she endorsed president, president Biden and she's kind of well in the establishment, uh, that you could see them pick her thinking that, you know, Dave Mulbauer doesn't have a chance to beat Grassley or, you know, that other candidates don't, but I, I, they should stay out of it because I think they just, they, they've really alienated a lot of Democrats in Iowa over the past three cycles by doing what they did. Uh, and, and as you say, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't at all successful. I mean, I don't know that anyone would have beaten Patty uh, or would have beaten Chuck Grassley in, in 2016, but they basically kind of had Patty run toward, you know, late. And I think a lot of Democrats were just like, you know, yeah, we may lose, but we, we'd like to pick our own candidate. And same with the uh, Senate race last year. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Olympics will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Tom, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. <laughs>